Well, once again, good morning. Um, Do you ever have those moments where uh, a significant amount of pride swells in your heart for your son? And Nash, that was amazing. Um, So uh, this is a very famous story. And it, le- it's, it contains a very famous parable. Uh, so famous that uh, Good Samaritan, like that phrase or that identifier, is used in modern English uh, plenty of times by, pe- by people who have no idea where it comes from. And one of the interesting things about very famous or well-known parables or sections of the Bible is that because they are so well-known or so famous, they can actually become quite unfamiliar. Or as I think it was Dallas Willard that put it, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. So just be prepared for that. Uh, It begins with a lawyer coming to Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean lawyer like attorney or esquire or or anything like that, but a legal expert, so an expert in Torah, God's law. And he comes to Jesus with a legal question. This was one of the issues, one of the things debated around the time of Jesus. And when he asks, uh, essentially, what must I do to inherit eternal life, it's important to note that he is not asking the question, how do I go to heaven when I die? Uh, That's kind of a modern, western, uh, Christian reading or understanding of that. This is, it's a phrase, it's kind of technical. In Greek, it's zoinaionion. It means kind of like, the life of the age to come, but now. So how do I how do I inherit the life of of that comes about when God finally does what he's going to do? And how do I experience that now? And Jesus asks him, um, he, 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 Jesus puts puts the question back on him and the guy answers correctly, which is embarrassing. If you can answer your own question, it reveals that something else is going on. But the guy seeks to justify himself, as Luke tells us. And he asks the question, who is my neighbor? And that's a very, very important question. Not only because it tells us how to fulfill that commandment, but it also has kind of like that, that flesh-hitting-dust practicality. Who is my neighbor? I'd ask the same question to you. Who is your neighbor? People living next door? Yeah, tech, I mean, by definition. Um, the people in your community? Probably. People in your state? Maybe. People in your country? I guess. I mean, the, the problem is that we already know the answer, right? The answer should technically be, everybody's my neighbor. But in reality, it's not, not really, it's not that straightforward, is it? Uh, you hear a lot about how we are living in a time that is very deeply polarized or divided. And that's true. I've also read 
kind of social commentators and such that, that would argue, and I think fairly convincingly, that we're not more divided now than we were 20, 30 years ago. The problem is that communication technology has made that division a lot more striking. Where I or you or we can make our divisions known without actually staring at the person face to face, like through social media, which is very dangerous. Communication networks have popped up that cater to that polarization. I can consume news only from the standpoint of my particular ideology. And that network can be uh, as open as they want about how much they cater to that particular ideology. Now, every side does this. Um, one side is not necessarily worse than the other. So maybe you prefer Fox News. Maybe you prefer MSNBC. The point is that you have a choice. And people tend to just go one or the other. By the way, not really part of the sermon, but if you want to make your head spin, read both of those for a week. And then see if you can figure out what's going on. Now, if you say, but I really prefer Fox News, I really prefer MSNBC, that's great. All I'm saying is that we should be honest. If you think one particular side or ideology is better than the other, okay. But realize that it's going to make the question of who is my neighbor a lot harder to answer. Because we have a tendency as human beings, this is a human problem, to create tribes, people with whom we identify. And part of that uh, tribal nature is that we will uh, sometimes identify ourselves over and against that other. Which again makes it really, really hard to figure out truly who is my neighbor. So, the lawyer says, and who is my neighbor? Now as it turns out, uh, this was a question being asked. I did kind of a quick little run-through of like ancient Jewish literature writing kind of from around the time of Jesus and a little bit after. And there is discussion about who your neighbor actually is. Now, much later, some uh, would, would say, um, uh, I think it was Baal Shem Tov, said that uh, your neighbor are, is um, observant Jews. And we might say, well, how horrifically hateful and how uh, terrible that must or that is if you're just going to only identify like your own tribe as your neighbor. But there's a context there of intense anti-Semitism. It would make sense that you would need to cloister off because your survival literally depends on it. So in, in other words, this is tricky. Uh, some around the time of Jesus would say that it probably just refers to your fellow Judeans, your fellow Jewish people. So Jesus tells a story. By the way, 
Whenever Jesus tells a story in response to a question, buckle up. (laughs) A guy is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which makes perfect sense. It's not that far of a trip, and you'd do that on business. And a bunch of uh, bandits jump him, which also happens if you make the mistake of traveling alone. They beat him half to death and leave him there. A priest comes by, which makes sense. Priests would travel the road between Jericho and Jerusalem a lot. We actually know that Jericho was kind of like a a cloistered community for certain groups of priests. And he sees him as like, dead guy, half naked or whatever. I'm going to skip this. And he goes across the street and then passes by. And then next comes a Levite, and he goes across the street and passes by. And here's the frustrating thing as like a New Testament scholar. We don't know why. There's a lot of theories. Some of them deal with like uh, ritual purity. Uh, If you come in contact with a dead body and I don't know, but I'm guessing if this guy is like half dead, he probably looks fully dead. Or if you're a Princess Bride fan, he's just mostly dead. Um, And so it would make sense that maybe they're trying to avoid that. Because if you contract that uncleanness, it's not a moral issue. However, uh, it does make your work complicated as you go and minister in sacred space in the temple. So there would be some stuff. And, and there's actually some suggestion that, that from their perspective, they did the right thing in avoiding that uncleanness. Um, that may not be the right thing from Jesus' perspective. So a priest goes by. They're kind of in charge of running the temple. A Levite goes by. They, were, they, were still, they worked in the temple, but they were lesser. And they skip by. And then a Samaritan comes. Now, at that point, you can feel Jesus' audience go, oh, really, we're going to go there. Okay. Because a Samaritan was hated by the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were hated by Samaritans. And here's the kicker. They're both wrong. <laughs> Um, there was, they, they share a border, there was violence from both sides, like the, that old uh, song, Nobody's Right When Everybody's Wrong. Um, they, they're very similar, and, and they even had similar beliefs, but there were some fundamental differences. Um, it's very, very hard to find a good analogy, modern analogy for Samaritan. But to give you that kind of visceral sense, it would be like Jesus introducing into this story a member of the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or ISIS, Astros fans or something like that. Um, Just to lower the tension a little bit. But it would, uh, you, you would feel that a little bit because you don't like them. You don't trust them. They are violent. There's, there's a, there are very good reasons for a Jewish audience to not appreciate a Samaritan entering the story. Samaritan sees him. 
comes to him, pours oil and wine on him. That is considered acceptable medicine. He's not just like being weird or gross or anything like that. Uh, the wine can sterilize. The, um, the, the oil would act as kind of like a balm or moist, give moisture to his wounds that were probably pretty caked in dust by that point. Takes him to an inn. There were inns on that road. Um, and he takes care of him. And not only that, but it costs him a fair amount. A denarius was about a day's wage. And uh, the Samaritan pays, what is it, two, and then expects that it's going to cost more. It costs him a lot. And then Jesus asks this legal expert, who was the neighbor? In that situation. And you can almost hear like this guy like I'm sorry, what? Because he doesn't actually say the Samaritan, he just says the one who showed him mercy. And I mean, this is just proof that Jesus is a much better person than I am, which is a ridiculous thing to say. I realize that, but just it's nice to be reminded of that. Because it would be hard not to say, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. The one who showed him mercy. Yeah, but who specifically? I need you to say the name. The guy doesn't even want to say it. And then he says, go and do likewise. Here's the twist. This is where, and maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't, but um, this is where a parable being really familiar can start to become unfamiliar. Is that Jesus never answered the question. The question was, who is my neighbor? Which again, is a very appropriate question. Who do I need to love? Who do I need to watch out for? Who do I need to care about? It would, it's an interesting question for us today. Like we think of the people in need in our community. Are they our neighbors? Well, yeah. I mean, there's this responsibility as followers of Jesus to care about their needs. What about middle-class family living in southern Germany? Are they our neighbors? Well, I, I mean, they don't need anything from me. So I don't know. But if the question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus, by telling this parable engaged in some kind of verbal or rhetorical jujitsu because what Jesus' concluding question is, is who was the neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but who was the neighbor to the, to the guy who needed help? Jesus tells a story and this is like classic, like rabbinic ways of doing things. But he tells a story to say, you, sir, are asking the wrong question. The commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is not intended to divide. We as human beings do that on our own naturally. The commandment of love your neighbor as though he were yourself is intended to break down those divisions. 
which is why Jesus inverts the question and says, no, 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 through story. The question we should be asking is how can we be a neighbor to those around us? You're the neighbor. Be the neighbor. Now, this can be kind of upsetting or off-putting or something like that. Like, like, just kind of the nature of our culture today. I said Fox News and MSNBC, and I've probably irritated everybody because that's the point. They're still your neighbors. Yeah, but they, they have different ideas from me. Yeah, they're still your neighbors. Yeah, but they're wrong. It's like they're still your neighbors and be very careful with that word. How would you want somebody else to be your neighbor and therefore go and do that. Note that that does not mean point out where they're wrong (laughs) on Facebook. But rather, it means asking, what did the people around me need? Now, within our community we have a lot of people who just need a friend who just need some time with people knowing that they care about them within Albuquerque there's a lot of people who need a meal who need socks who need water and that's just here everybody here Needs Jesus. Those are good places to start. That's why we, Christ Lutheran, have invested ourselves quite heavily in some of these missions and ministries. God cares about you is is a good channel or avenue for us to do that. We have our Stephen Ministry program, which specifically trains people to sit with and be with people who really just need an ear. Those are two ways you can get involved, ways that we are already involved. But the fact of the matter is that, and and this is just the brilliance of Jesus, is that he takes a question that was being used to divide and uses a story to explain that that's, this is not meant to sow division at all. In fact, it puts the onus on us. And that tearing down of division is something that, that is just ingrained in a fundamental way into who we are as followers of Jesus. Because the fundamental story of who we are and why we are here at, in this sanctuary, in this place, following and learning about and loving all the more this guy named Jesus is that he's the one that takes, tears these divisions down. I mean, first off, just literally and socially, Jesus is all over the place reaching out to the wrong sorts of people and bringing them in. But we also believe that we as human beings, in part because of this divisive tribalness, We have a tendency, or because of that, fundamentally, we have this division between us and our Creator. And it's our fault. 
And Jesus tears, that down, tears down that division too. When you tear down sacred division, it costs something. In the ancient days, it cost blood. Today, it cost blood, but it was Jesus. So as Jesus is tearing down that divisive question of, well, who actually is my neighbor? He is also being the one offering himself up to tear down that division between us and God. Offering himself on the altar of the earth, died in your place for all of your division and divisiveness and mine. And look around you and see what we get. Not only the forgiveness and love and acceptance by God himself, our creator, but also a new family of people who strive and seek and really just it's part of who we are, it's in our DNA, to be our neighbor.